I'm Rob, if we haven't met before, I'm so glad you're here. And we are continuing a series called Breaking Free. I want to start with a story that I uh, read last week or maybe a couple weeks ago about a guy you may have heard of, maybe not. His name's Tim, and he said he remembers this night like it was yesterday. It was the night that he sat numbed, staring at a powered-off TV, replaying this conversation that aired in real time in that morning. It was this. We're letting you go. It wasn't the first time he'd heard that. It was actually the third time, this time from the New England Patriots, saying, I mean, men that he respected, that he admired, but basically saying, you can't do what you dreamed about doing since you were a little boy, to play in the National Football League. That night, Tim Tebow stared into a blank space, pleading with God. I thought we had this. I thought you had a plan for me and in mind. What's the deal? As a professional football player, he had no job. He had no car. He had no house. And he didn't have a clue what the future held. Now, maybe you can't relate to getting cut from multiple teams (laughs) multiple times from the NFL, but can you think of a moment where you've had to face disappointment or failure or loss? A moment where it hits you so hard it really punches you to the core, maybe makes you question your identity. See, I think the reality is that we live in this world of performance, Society demands that we perform, they expect us to perform, and they evaluate our performance. It doesn't matter if you didn't try out for The Voice, or if you're not at Washington, D.C. in politics, or if you don't play for the NFL. Everyone evaluates your performances. And they don't just do it with what we do. They also do it with our job titles. I think they do it with our bank accounts. They do it with our marital status. They do it in how well our kids are doing at anything. And we might do it to ourselves on how many likes or followers we have on social media. And like I said in the first week of this series called Breaking Free, the greatest lie that we tell ourselves or that is told to us is that you must prove your worth. It's a lie from the pit of hell that you have to prove yourself. The greatest truth of Christ and of his resurrection is that you and I are free. We are free from proving ourselves worthy. We are free from having to sit in sin or shame. And that's what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was about. That's what his life, death, and resurrection actually verifies for us. And I believe that. I do. However, I forget often that I have to keep believing that. So, this series is really about how we live from a place of resurrection power. How we live out the reality and how we behave in light of Christ's death and resurrection. And so today, we're going to look at 
one of the first controversies in the very, very new church that shortly after Jesus rose from the dead. It's an issue that not only has implications for our personal lives, but I think has implications for our communal lives, not just as this church, but as the worldwide church. The letter gets into some specific language about types of food and types of, hang on a second, all right, types of surgeries that happen to little Jewish boys when they're eight days old. We, we good with that? Yeah? All right. So um, in the midst of that, and it talks a little bit about behaviors, but in the midst of that, keep listening for the essence of the controversy. Because I believe the essence of the controversy is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. So maybe a good way to begin is just to ponder what impact or what do you believe, what do you believe about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? And how does that impact how you live today? And how does it impact how you behave? Because I know I find myself sliding towards all types and traps of performances. So we're going to be in this letter known as Galatians, chapter 2. And it'll be on the screen. You might want to take notes in your own Bible, or if you need a Bible, we have some in the back. But again, listen for the essence of the controversy. Galatians 2 starts, Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church, and I shared the message with them that I had been preaching to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up because some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in, they sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been given the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as an apostle to the Jews also worked through me as an apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as the pillars of the church, recognized the gift that God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching or speaking to the Gentiles and while they continued to work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I had always been eager to do. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. 
for what he did was very wrong. When we first, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some of the friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? God, we're here, and I pray that we would be all here. I pray that you would take your text and you would read us through your spirit and your word. Speak to us, God. We're listening. We want to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this is the issue. This is the controversy that was going on. Paul had discovered that all of these rules of religion and all of the promises of God throughout his religion and his people group pointed to Jesus. And he knew better than anyone that no matter how good your performance, no matter how well you follow the rules, no matter how perfect you keep them, there's only one true way to peace with God and freedom for our lives forever, and that is through God's generosity. And Paul called it a marvelous grace. That Jesus took on human sin, experienced human death, and fulfilled God's sacred law, and he offers through that payment to bring us into relationship with him. All he could call it was marvelous grace. In fact, he was so transformed by this radical message of grace that he actually couldn't stop talking about it. Did I tell you about how much I love peanut butter? Because, oh my gosh, I mean, like Jesus... My wife, my kids, peanut butter. And it's, it's a struggle, especially the really, really gooey, creamy kind. I mean, I, if I could only tell you about peanut butter. Or camping, like especially ultralight camping. My, I think you've heard this before. My point is we can talk about things that we love so easily. When Paul finally discovered what grace actually meant. He could not stop talking about it. He told everyone he met about it. In fact, the, the, the people who ridiculed him said this of him, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And the essence of the good news that Paul spoke about all over the Roman Empire was simply that, that God's salvation is offered to people, all people, regardless of race, sex, Nationality, wealth, social standing, educational level, ethnicity, or anything else. It almost sounds like a disclaimer, right? Like what you would do at a college entrance exam. We allow people of all blah, 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 blah to apply. And yet, the essence of his message really was that. Now, it doesn't, it's kind of clunky sounding, so I don't think he uses that very often because of that. But really, what he's saying is, 
doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, anyone can be forgiven by trusting Christ. So this guy named Barnabas welcomes Paul because the 12, 12 apostles that became 11 apostles, that then became 12, weren't really accepting of Paul. Even though he was a Jew, he was just from out of town, and if you were from Jerusalem, then you were better than other people. So, so Barnabas actually had the boldness and the courage that's what his name means, son of encouragement. He had the boldness and the courage to actually go see Paul and found out he was legit, brought him to the apostles, and they're like, okay, yeah, you're legit. And then Paul went home, went back to the region that he was from, and then he started sharing this message, and people caught on. I mean, they, the message of Jesus kept getting larger and larger and larger, and this community of people, Jesus people, actually started being called Christians or little Christ in this place called Antioch that was quite a ways north of Jerusalem, but very much an epicenter of the, time, of the place of the time of the world. And so in Antioch, these people were being called Christians. Many of them were still Jews, but many of them weren't. And so at this place in Antioch, it's in Acts 13, this group of believers and leaders were praying to God and they said, Hey, we feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to us that we should send Barnabas and Saul out to be messengers around the region, missionaries, if you will. They're going to go, they're going to tell this message. And so they'd go to churches, well, they'd go to synagogues, they'd go to places where people met, they'd share the message that we just talked about, and people responded. It was amazing. I mean, again, some of them were Jewish, but many of them were not Jewish people groups. Some of them were not even religious groups. They were just groups of people that said yes. And it was so amazing that people from Jerusalem, remember the capital of Judaism, started coming out and they were checking it out. And so that's what Paul refers to in the letter when he says that they came to visit. These people from Jerusalem are obviously Jewish, but they believe in Jesus. So these people travel, they see these people who are not Jewish, but they believe in Jesus, and they're over here with Paul, and these people are coming. So he says, we should do a meet and greet, or like a sip and social, or a disc golf. We should bring these groups of people together, and you believe in Jesus, and you believe in Jesus, and you're a little different, but that's okay. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get together. We're going to have this meal and in ancient Middle East culture, when you share a meal together, it's way more than food. It's connection, it's relationship, but it's ultimately acceptance. You're saying, you are truly my friend. You are like family to me. I will protect you. I will provide for you. And so it was a big deal to eat together. So Paul is, is being a good host, but he's kind of freaking out a little bit because the people that aren't Jewish are saying, man, we, I mean, you haven't lived, Paul, until you've had Famous Dave's Barbecue. I mean, the, like, the big feast. We're talking, you know, spare ribs, roasted chicken, beef brisket, and some Georgia chopped pork. Georgia, like, over in Europe, not over here. So we got to have that. And Paul's like, eh, I don't, I don't really think these guys over here are going to go for that because they need a kosher kitchen. So could we go to like 
Abe's Israeli Cafe. I mean, you don't have to get the falafels. The fish tacos are out of this world. They're so good. You know, hashtag Taco Tuesday. So let's do that. I'll rent out the party room and we'll, we'll just, we'll eat together. I mean, I might be stretching, filling out what's in the text, but I think the spirit of it is there. And so sure enough, Maybe they come because any friend of Paul's is a friend of mine. I don't know. They just, they come. They get together and they eat together. They connect together. They see the work that God is doing in them. They have an amazing weekend together. We might put it in terms of they sang some songs together. They worshiped God together. They shared faith stories of like how God had worked in them. They shared both sides. And it was this amazing weekend of food. And I think according to what Paul is saying to and about Peter, they may even have had some barbecue. And that was really good. But the next day, some prominent, powerful religious people from Jerusalem who said maybe they believed in Jesus, they came. And all of a sudden, Peter is too busy to finish the weekend with the new believers in Antioch. And even Barnabas, at the last minute, texts Paul and says, sorry, something came up, can't make it. And Paul's sitting there with his new friends that he's known for a few years. And these friends that really go way, way back for him. I mean, even though he has known them He's probably known them longer. He's been with these people more, but Peter, James, and John, he just felt like really, truly accepted him. And now they won't come. I was talking with some friends that are of mine that are in their 20s, and whenever they host a party, they get super anxious, like in the days before. And I'm like, why is that? And they say, because my friends will sort of commit, but then before it actually happens, until they actually show up on my house, I'm always worried that they're going to find something better and be like, oh, sorry, can't come. That, and it's not, I'm, they said, I'm not ripping on them. This is just how we live today. And I was like, wow, that kind of sucks. But it's very similar. When you host this party and you want these friends to come or these friends to come, and they, I mean, what is the greater thing in the world to have Friends from long ago meet your new friends and become friends, right? Because then you get to experience the additive, actually even the multiplicative power of friendship. So you don't have to feel like, oh, if this friend's not friends with that friend, then I, can, I have to try and figure out how to meet with that person, but then I have to go figure out room for this person. And you can kind of get stressed out if you're a person who has a lot of friends, on how you can meet with each of these people. And it's like, but if we were just all friends, then I wouldn't have to freak out about it. See, there's my thing. <laughs> and we, here's, here's the deal. We don't really know exactly why they didn't show up. I mean, Paul says to Peter, you cared more about what those people from Jerusalem thought about who you were with than about the people that were there. But we don't know if the people there just had like different hair or a tattoo or multiple tattoos or 
piercings or multiple piercings or pierced things that you're like, I didn't even know you could pierce that. Or maybe they just listened to country music. I mean, they were just different enough that they said, stay away. Sorry if you're a country music fan. See, Paul isn't just hurt by that. I mean, I'm, I might be. I'm kind of sensitive. But Paul's offended. He's offended because he heard from Peter's own lips that God gave him a vision and said in Acts 10 and 11, if you want to read it, kill and eat. Like, there's barbecue. You can have it. No, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Anything that I call clean is clean. You don't have to judge it. I'll judge it. And he, through that whole experience, found a Roman, a Roman centurion, a Roman general, over a hundred soldiers. Remember, Rome is oppressing all of the region. That, yes, Pax Romana, like, it's Roman peace. Just don't cross Rome, and then you die. That's how we keep the peace. Even one of those people, one of those people who fears God, turns to him calls on the name of Jesus, is saved. Peter's already had that experience. Peter shared that experience with Paul. Peter shared that experience with the, with the people in Jerusalem. And now he's turning his back on it. That's why Paul's offended. It is a righteous anger. And he's got to call it out. Because this could destroy this brand new church. I mean, it's not even really, really, it's not even called the church yet. It's called the way. It's like this little sect, this little division of Judaism. And so they're just trying to figure out how to do what they're doing and how, I mean, really how Jesus can be fully man and fully God, and yet they worship one God. So they're, they're still trying to figure all that stuff out. But we've got people over here and people over here that are like, no soup for you. You don't get to come. You don't get to come. And I think that's the issue that is the essence of the controversy. It's the issue that maybe kept some of you away from church for a long, long time. It's the issue that maybe you had your parents say, you don't have to go to church anymore or you can decide for yourself. Um, it's probably a reason a few of your, you told your kids, it's okay. You, don't, you can go. You cannot go. doesn't matter. It's the very issue that keeps people from believing in God and desperately wanting peace with him and yet having very little hope that they will find it in the church. And I think the issue is, who gets to be in the church? Like, how good do you have to be? How many rules do you need to follow? How much of your lifestyle needs to be cleaned up or changed before you get in? How good do you have to be? And maybe you've experienced something like this too. Like maybe you've been seeking God or reading the Bible or you start attending church and you, you feel this draw, this pull, this connection, but then somebody looks at you or, or says something to you or just does that one thing and, you know, all of a sudden they say, oh, we can't say that here, or we can't behave that way, or we don't do that here, or you need to clean up this, or don't do this, then you can become one of us. See, the people, you, you just got this feeling from the church people that your performance wasn't good enough, or isn't good enough. 
Now, I, can, I don't want to rip on the people in Jer- Jerusalem because if you're someone who's believed in God for years and years and years, your whole life, and you've grown up in families that believe in God and believe in God and do it this way and do it this way, then you might understand why this is an issue because for their whole lives, they've said, this is how God is, this is how we behave, this is how we worship him, and this is what he said to us. And, and so they're just saying, like, great, we love Jesus, and, but before you can really follow Jesus, you have to, you have to start following Moses then you can follow Jesus. Once, if you want to become a Christian, just, become, just follow the Jewish religion first. Then you can become a Christian. That's what the issue was in Galatia. I think the relevant and essentially the same essence of that translates is, oh, you want to become a Christian? This is how to become a church person first. Everybody following? Now, why do you think Paul was offended. You can play. We'll try and wrap up pretty quick. Why might Paul have been offended? Because we want to belong. Beautiful, Cody. I didn't think of that. Yeah, we do. I mean... We had friends over last night. We had this beautiful dinner. We already had these plans for like a month. And a couple of our neighbors walk, like, cut through our yard. And I'm like, oh, hey, what's going on? Oh, just passing through. We're going over to so-and-so's for dinner. And I was like, just this little tiny twinge. And I'm, an, I'm a, like, very well-adjusted adult. I mean, mostly. <laughs> mostly. And uh, I'm like, oh, I didn't get invited. Oh, maybe they texted my wife. So I, I was fine. And then I saw my wife. Did we get invited over some? Oh, no? Oh, hmm. We too, we want to belong. Why else might Paul have been offended? They were confused or confusing the message. Their actions were completely confusing. I think he might even, that's a perfect, perfect inference, Karen. If you don't have to follow any of these rules to be accepted by Jesus, then why are you putting on rules for us in order to say that you accept us? I mean, didn't you catch that line? God has no favorites. God has no favorites. I don't think we get that. I don't think I always get that. Because deep down, Every one of us has favorites. If you're resistant to this, just think about uh, your favorite food, peanut butter. Or your favorite restaurant. Or your favorite music, even if it's country. God bless you. (laughs) Or your favorite season. Or your favorite vacation destination. Like, we all have favorites. We might have a favorite coworker, or we might have a favorite aunt, or we might even have a favorite kid. Um, even if it's so, especially if it's someone else's. Um, <laughs> I know, right? But I think that stuff creeps in, and then we go, so God must have favorites. And some of us deep down wonder if. God could ever think of us as our favorite. We know what we've done. 
We know how we behave. We know where we sit in shame. And we say, no, God could never see me as favored. So Paul says to his friend Peter, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like, these Gentile, or like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law, the religious law, the 613 laws, not just the Ten Commandments, the whole law of Moses, the entire Old Testament covenant with God, that law. We have, no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. In fact, he continues a couple verses later, when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. It showed me that I couldn't do it, that I'm not perfect, that I can't perform to the standard because that's the reality is, you know, whether it's 2,000 years ago and it's the people in Galatia, they can't keep this. This same issue that is talked about in Galatians chapter 2 is the issue that's talked about in Acts 15 and it's who gets in and we can't keep the law and you can't even keep the law. It's like, it's like putting on rules that you know you're not going to keep. I mean, and when we get... All right. Sorry, I'm getting really excited. We know we can't perform our, rela- our way to a relationship with God. So the individual, like the personal implication is, what are the ways that you perform, that you just slide into performance, that you just slide over into performance, just... Because, because it's ingrained in our culture. Maybe for you, it's, well, I just think about that I'm a lot better than other people, and I'm humble, but I'm, you know, that. Or, well, I just focus on these good things, and then when I see people doing these bad things, I'm like, oh, it just, it kind of, like, repulses me, and so it's hard for me to reach out. If you can say that, that confessing is more than half the battle. Bringing it into light loses its power. So what are the ways that you focus on that, but then how can you focus on God's grace? How can you focus on God's unmerited, unconditional acceptance of you? It's the personal application. I have an affirmations list. I am God's child. He not only loves me, he likes me. I can't earn my favor with God, but I choose to believe in Christ and follow his way in all that I think, say, and do. I have about another eight of those. They're my declaration list, and I say them almost every day and have for the past four years. That's how I keep from sliding into performance. Okay, that's the personal application. Yeah. Uh, I can can probably post that somewhere. Um, I'll put it in the news and notes real soon, and then it'll get on Facebook, but I don't know if I want to... Uh, yeah, talk to me after about posting it on Facebook. <laughs> I'm so awesome that I'm going to put this out there on Facebook. So, well, really quickly, I, I don't want to miss the communal application. Because the personal application is great, but see, that communal application is we, especially if we have been in church for a long time, when we're in church, we just naturally find people that have the same favorites as we do. Oh, you like Mighty to Save? I like Mighty to Save. Oh, you wear gray sh- pants with gray shoes? Oh, I, you don't have fashions? I like you. I, but you're not going to judge me. That's awesome. Tell me that after, Lauren. Um, we just hang out with these people that have our favorites. 
But then when somebody else has a favorite, we don't know what to do and we get weird. We get really weird. Like we make rules like some, we make, we make weird rules. So we have these actions communally that slide us into performance with God or making others perform with God. And the first one is we slide towards preference or performance. So we know, or we're, we're not sure if God has favorites. We don't know that. We can't really see that because only God can see the heart, but we can watch other people's behavior. And so we naturally do. Or we don't know if God has favorites, favorites so we compare the kinds of music we listen to. Or we don't know if God has favorites, but we know that, you know, that neighbor down the street doesn't mow his lawn the right way, leaves it too long, or leaves it too short, or doesn't pull out his weeds, or we don't know if God has favorites, but we know that you have a perfectly good driveway, so-and-so. In fact, it looks like you have a garage, but you keep parking your cars on the street. And we just, we slide into these things that are preferences. They're just preferences. You like country music? Awesome. That is not what Jesus is about. And he's not about the other music either. He's about making a song to the Lord. So we got to slide, we got to consciously choose towards moving towards discovery. Away from preference and slide to discovery. Be curious about people that are different than you. You will learn something. It's phenomenal. In fact, God is this beautiful mosaic. There's so many people all over the world. They're awesome. They're unique. They're made in the image of God. They can be different than us. We got to do that if we're going to. This was going to destroy the church. It was going to destroy the church. And for over 2,000 years, the church has lived because they have continued to choose towards moving towards discovery, moving towards diversity. It's not saying that there's not any rules. Jesus didn't poo-poo a moral standard. He didn't say, you know, you shouldn't, sin, you shouldn't judge people who sin. Oh, but that's okay. No, he said, go and sin no more. He's not saying there's not a standard. There is a standard. But I don't know if we need to sit and focus all on this. Like, don't do that. Now let's worship God. And in essence, the essence of the argument was, have a moral standard. Don't offend the Jews. Come into the church. That's the end. If if you want to save a lot of time and feel good about yourself this afternoon, even though it's not about performance, read Acts 15. At the end of it, there's these rules. Don't offend the Jews. Have a moral standard. Do you want me to elaborate on what that means? No, you can read it. Okay. So we've got to slide, move, consciously move towards discovery. We've got to we slide towards policies when we don't like stuff, when it's different. We make rules like don't play soccer in the sanctuary. Okay, that one I can get. But then we say, oh, women, you have to wear these kind of skirts made of this material in order to be at church. Like, no, that's just a preference. You don't need to make a policy about that. Or we say um, men cannot have hair that touches their shirt collar. Or you can only have white grape juice in communion with saltine crackers. Or we can only read the Bible from this translation. They make policies like churches make policies so they don't have to have conversations with people. And I can slide into this too. Like, oh, if we just make a policy, then I don't have to meet with 18 people about that. 
And the bad part is that the people who aren't in the church, they're not coming to ask the questions. So we've got to realize that it's so easy to slide to palsy. We can do this in parenting. It's just a rule. Don't talk to me about it. But then we miss the grace and truth-filled conversations. And that's where the Holy Spirit lives because that's what Jesus did all the time. And lastly, I know I'm a little over. Thank you for staying. We've got to avoid the slide towards protection. See, the, like it does matter personally what we're talking about, but corporately, like this is the life and death of the church. It is. We've got to move towards discovery, towards diversity, towards listening, wondering, keeping things that are preferences, preferences, having a moral standard, but not having policies so we don't have to have conversations. But then finally, not be so focused on and sliding towards protection that we miss advancing God's mission. I mean, Jesus advanced his mission that one more person that was far away from God could come near to God and one more people group that had been felt ostracized from God could come into God and one more person over here could come in and one more leader that had never said had the opportunity they could come forward this idea is what the church is all about so if you're not really a church person know that God does have a moral standard but his grace goes first That's where God loves you from first, out of this marvelous, extravagant, unconditional grace. And if you are a church person, this isn't saying God doesn't have a moral standard. He does. But his grace goes first. And if you think about it, aren't you glad it does? Aren't you glad that before you really realized or before you ever behaved good enough that God chose you and loved you and accepted you? That there's nothing you could do to make God love you more? If we want to break free of performance, we have got to get this right. And it only takes a few simple decisions. Hey, I slide towards this, I got to move towards that. I know I want to make a policy so I don't have to talk about it. I'm going to choose to talk about it. It's going to be okay. I know Jesus' mission is still going to advance. I know that God's grace, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection defeats sin. So I don't have to sit here and worry about if you're not going to sin or not because I know that as you understand God's grace and his death and resurrection more and more in your life, the resurrection power will overcome that sin in your life. I don't need to focus on it. God's got it. And the church goes on and on and on. God doesn't have favorites. But he loves you as if you're his favorite. Every stinking one of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace that I still don't always understand. God, that your unconditional riches of your generous love that came to us in Jesus Christ, fully truth, and fully grace to show us how to live to show us how to sacrifice to fulfill a law that we could never fulfill to give us life so that we could live 
And so that he had perfect relationship with you, God, so that we could have relationship with you. I still don't get it, but I thank you for it. I thank you for the community, this community of grace, that, that we can come together, that we can bring our, our little fish and loaves, like the story of the feeding of the 5,000. God, I can bring this offering of your word. We can hear you through it. And that you say it's enough. I pray that you would, you would just tell each person here, that your life is enough and that your love is enough and that your grace is enough and we don't have to focus on performance. Thank you for loving us, God. Holy Spirit, speak to us in this time that we have remaining and as we go through our week, that you will continue to break down the strongholds in our lives that pull us towards performance, the traps that we get into, and set us free. Amen.